sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode in Speech Pathology Australia's Speak Up podcast series. My name is Mary Woodward and I'm Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor, Justice and Mental Health. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Stella Martin. In 2017, Stella became the first speech pathologist in Australia to be employed directly by Youth Justice. So hello, Stella. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, I was wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about what services there are at the Youth Detention Centre there in, in Queensland. Sure. In Queensland, there's four different government departments. So there's the Department of Youth Justice, um, Department of Education, Child Safety, um, a little bit, and Department of Queensland Health. And um, there's also in Queensland Health, there's primary medical services and the Child and Youth Mental Health Service on site. Okay, so very much a collaboration. Yeah, there's the on-site school that Department of Education run as well. So the, the kids attend that every day. So I mentioned that you were the first speech pathologist in Australia to, to be employed directly by Youth Justice as opposed, but as opposed to kind of a different agency um, providing services within Youth Justice. Just wondering if you can tell us a bit more about your role and you know how it came about. Yeah, sure. Well, it was actually um, a fantastic timing because um, I was on loan from Disability Services um, working in central office on projects and my manager had the foresight to, you know, she knew that the cohort were the same across youth justice, child safety, disability services and mental health. And so she put me on loan to youth justice to conduct the communication assessments um, for young people in youth justice in the detention centres. Um, so they would have the supplementary communication assessment for any future NDIS applications. Um, and so I assessed 36 young people at the Brisbane Youth Detention Centre and Cleveland Youth Detention Centre in Townsville. And um, then I presented my findings to the Youth Justice Board of Management. And it was excellent timing because at the same time, the independent review of youth detention was happening in Queensland at the time. Um, and so they actually included six, um, as a result, they included six full-time speech pathology positions um, into the um, review recommendations. That's fantastic. So what are those different positions? Um, there's my position as a senior practitioner who provides the strategic oversight and development of clinical guidelines, etc. Um, and then there are two full-time speech pathologists at the Brisbane Youth Detention Centre and two full-time at the Cleveland Youth Detention Centre. And we have one um, speech pathologist in the community supporting um, a certain catchment um, of youth justice service centres. And um, in the youth detention centres, I always wanted to make sure whatever funding we had, even if we had one position, I would split that into two. So the speech pathologist would have um, peer support with each other in such a new area. Yeah, I think that's so important. 
So what sort of projects and activities have, have you and the other speech pathologists in your team been involved in while setting up the service? Um, I've been here for, it's almost been two years in September. Um, so there's been quite a big learning curve for me, not coming from a criminogenic background whatsoever. So um, um, first, we, um, first we developed the speech pathology clinical guidelines in youth justice. So that's um, how we provide uh, speech pathology services with an overlay of how it relates to reducing recidivism and criminogenic factors. Yeah. Um, as well as the legislation we work under. Um, I've also had to do a lot of um, public relations, um, which is not a surprise, but um, a lot of it was new information for most staff in what speech pathologists actually do and the, and the wide scope we do. Um, so that's been really positive. Um, and part of that PR has been um, the communicating with young people workshops that um, Myself and the speech pathologists have been running all across to all youth justice staff in Queensland. Um, and that's that's a one-day workshop that includes information on um, the communication profiles of young people, the differences between Australian Aboriginal English and Standard Australian English and how that impacts um, assessment and intervention for everyone. Um, and we look at the low we talk about the low literacy levels and practical things and what every single person can do to support someone with low literacy. Um, some of the other projects are, um, I guess, a big one's been setting up data collection and also information sharing between all of the government departments, which, you know, in, in the other departments I've worked in, that's quite a common barrier. Um, and uh, a big one that um, I'm working on in collaboration with other people are modifying all the written youth justice documents that young people are expected to read and or sign consent to. So, this, yeah, it's, it's quite a huge project um, because there's about 50 plus documents that need to be modified into simple English with visuals. Mm. So, so, that, uh, so that the young people can actually understand the, the documents that they're being given and are having to sign. Yes, definitely. Um, because a lot of the young people, you know, even something as simple as when a young person's admitted into detention, they have to give all their property over and they sign a property sheet saying that, and it says, it's a full page and it says it's, you've now handed your property over and you'll get it upon um, release. And, you know, you hear anecdotes about young people handing over all their property, their, you know, their precious goods that are um, what they have on them. And then they sign the document, not knowing what it says. And then they ask their caseworker afterwards, oh, I can't believe they're just chucking that all in the bin now because... They don't fully understand it. Yeah, that's awful. It must be so stressful for them. So anything that you, that that can be done to help them understand the process and and participate in it more effectively has got to be a good thing for everyone. Yeah, definitely, and that's the property sheets. Just one sort of lower level example. The bigger yeah. ones are they don't understand their court orders. Yes. And so then, hence, you know, lots of breaches happen because they just don't understand all of it. Mm. Now you mentioned that that you know it's been a steep learning curve and you've had to do a lot of kind of PR explaining about what a speech pathologist role is etc just wondering if there's been any other sort of challenges that stand out to you um probably providing a service an effective service when the um stay in custody is on average about one month mm. um, 
and, you know, then you might never see them again. Um, sadly, we often do see the young person again. So, you know, you can kind of continue your assessment and intervention when they come back, but that's not probably the most positive no. model to work under. Yeah, I can see that would be a challenge. But you must also have had, had a number of successes um, in the last two years. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, hiring really great speeches helps yeah. because... Uh, they have they are worth their weight in gold and they've just immediately understood the justice context and they're very very practical people that have just provided support to all areas of youth justice they're amazing um and like even so some of the things they do are um they just go down to the sections and just provide the whole staff on how to communicate with a new young person who has um some difficulties understanding other people um or even um, love hearing the positive stories. So even up in Townsville, one of the speeches worked with a 17-year-old who didn't know the alphabet. Mm. Um, by the time he left, he was he had worked with him. He was able to read um, a year one decodable from beginning to end, and he was incredibly proud of himself. Um, and the impact know, that that might have on that. on his future, um, both in terms of his self-esteem, but also kind of you know opportunities. That, that he may have in the future because he's developing literacy skills that he didn't have before is incredible. Oh, definitely. And it can happen in such a short time. Yeah. Um, one of our speeches um, told me the other day, she closed someone's literacy gap by two years just um, in the short time he was, she was working with him. It's amazing. Yeah. Such a shame that, they, that, that many of the young people didn't have the opportunity to have these sorts of services before they came into the centre. Yes. Mm. Yep. So just before we just before we end, um, Stella, I was wondering. I'm sure that you you must get contacted by speech pathologists who are interested in working in youth justice in the future. Um, so for any anyone listening to the podcast who's who's thinking along the same way, I was just wondering if you've got any advice to give. Um, you know what what should they do if they're wanting to work in youth justice? Yeah. Sure. Um, Probably would be, be wise to do some research on um, the communication profiles um, and background factors of young people in youth justice. So, you know, the trauma-informed side of things, um, what factors reduce um, re-offending, um, some of the mental health and um, speech-language communication need links, yeah. um, and um, I guess um, some of the biopsychosocial background factors so just looking at the person as a whole also the disability side as well you know learning a bit more about that as well so skilling up in lots of different related fields is going to hopefully mean that they're in the best possible position to to contribute to this incredibly important workforce definitely definitely and it also helps to know about the um, differences between Australian Aboriginal English Torres Strait Islander dialects and standard Australian English um, because that's with um, a population in Brisbane being 65% um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and in Townsville about 95% Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Um, it's really our bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We certainly don't want to be um, drawing conclusions about someone's communication skills that are actually based on a, a language or a cultural difference as opposed to a, a disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Stella. Um, you know, th there's plenty more we could talk about, but I'm sure, I'm sure if people have questions, they'll be in touch. Um, thank you so much for, for 
um, setting a precedent for us here in Australia. Uh, Queensland, Queensland Youth Justice and the, the speech pathology provision within Queensland Youth Justice is certainly um, sort of a model that that we advocate other jurisdictions look to. So thank you so much for, for your part in, in making it the success that it that it seems to be. So thank you very much, Stella. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.